Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1046 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with a returning guest. Tabora was on episode 773. It was called Rainbow Connection. And since she was on that episode, she's developed breast cancer. She's back today to talk about her lumpectomy and so much more. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Check out the Pro Tip series. It has been newly remastered and is running right now in your audio app between episode 1000 and 1026. There's a special ad on there from the Contour Next Gen blood glucose meter that I think you're going to love. There's a little bit of a offer in there. You should go check it out because it's while supplies last. Go look in the Diabetes Pro Tip series that runs between episode 1000 and 1026. Also, don't forget to check out the private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. This episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth is where I get all of my most comfortable and lovely things. My sheets, my towels, and some of my most favorite pieces of clothing. They have ladies and men's, everything you can think of at CozyEarth.com. And when you use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout, you'll save 40% off of your entire order. The podcast is also sponsored today by US Med usmed.com forward slash juice box. US Med is where we get Arden's Dexcom and Omnipod supplies from, and they have much more. You can get a free benefits check right now at usmed.com forward slash juice box or call 888-721-1514. Get your supplies the same way we do from US Med. Good afternoon. My name is Sephora Rosenberg and I have type 1 diabetes. Sephora, how are you? I'm all right. How are you, Scott? Good. Thank you. I appreciate you coming back on the podcast again. Sure. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. What was your episode number? Do you know? Oh, God. Do you know what it was called? It was called Rainbow Connection. All right. I'll find it. And we are going to dive in pretty quickly to why you're back. But first, we're going to find out a little bit about yourself. Type one. Okay. Type one. How long? Um, 40 uh like 42 years <laughs> was that a trumpet you were playing there <laughs> that was my it was my imagination trumpet <laughs> that was nice. Please don't this episode imagination trumpet that <laughs> Not, can go <laughs> no i don't know it was really wonderful you're like burp, burp, burp. diabetes for a long time when you came yes. on the podcast the first time what did we talk about we talked about a lot of things. We talked about healthcare experience. I teach, you know, physicians and nurse practitioners and all kinds of healthcare people. We talked about my daughter with another autoimmune condition. Mm-hmm. But we're we're back on for a very different reason today. Yeah. Okay. So what makes you reach back out? Because you were just on episode 773. Like you said, it was called mm-hmm. Rainbow Connection. And it came yep. out on October 17th, 2022. And now here we are. 
March mm-hmm. of twenty March of twenty twenty three recording again. It's really only five months later. Not something I normally mm-hmm. do. So how did you uh, how did you get me? Well, interestingly, I went to the podcast Facebook page and the podcast homepage looking for episodes where somebody may have talked about this particular experience because I was like, oh, I need to learn what I can learn. And this is the place where I want to begin as it relates to new and interesting health stuff and diabetes. And I didn't really see anything. So I I messaged you and I said, hey, have you ever had somebody on talking about breast cancer? Mm. Now, when you and I spoke the first time, did you have a diagnosis at that point? No, I no. didn't. Okay. So I think we recorded, I don't know, a number of months prior. Yeah, I'm doing my math. It probably was April 2022 when we, so it's probably been a little over a year since we recorded the first time. Yeah. Um, so how did you learn that you had breast cancer? I guess like I'm looking for your story about how you diagnosed it. I am in my early 40s. And, you know, I think thanks to diabetes, there's lots of things I do just on the schedule and on the regular for my diabetes care. Mm -hmm. So I started with a new primary care doctor and she's like, hey, you know, what do you think about a mammogram? And I was like, oh, yeah, Eh, I should probably get one of those at some point. But I thought I don't need it until I'm 45. And she's like, no, you really should get it at 40. And I'm like, well, I can't go back. So I'll just get it now. Mm -hmm. So I scheduled this mammogram, you know, as just the initial one thinking, whatever, it's no big deal. I have no family history. Um, And I really was expecting this is going to be one of a number of adult health screening things that I just have to do. um, And it'll be no big deal. Mm. So I did that in August of this year, this past year. And um, several weeks later, got a letter that said, well, there's some things that aren't quite what we would expect to see, and we want you to get some more testing. So honestly, like when I first got that letter, I was like, yeah, this doesn't sound bad. I don't know anything about this, but if they were really concerned, maybe somebody would have called me, so I'll, I'll get to it when I get to it. And a friend of mine was like, please don't wait on that. Like that is abnormal. You need to go get more follow-up. So I did. And um, the next visit I had, had another mammogram, an ultrasound, and a biopsy, sort of all in one fell swoop. And within days, I get a call from uh, that physician. And she said, yep, um, you have an early form of breast cancer, and we need you to find a surgeon. So would this be considered an intervention that you don't think you would have had without, like, you didn't have any of the, like, a lump or a thickening or discharge? You had nothing I had nothing. Right. Okay. And so without this testing... You, you won't know about this. I mean, I wouldn't have known. I yeah. do think some people feel something or notice symptoms. I just didn't have any of that. This was purely a sort of diagnostic screening thing that I'd never had before. And so on the one hand, like, dang, the first time I roll in to get one of these things, it turns up abnormal. On the other hand, how amazing is it that routine screening can pick up something that really could have a huge impact? And without it, I wouldn't have known. And it really could be much worse. Yes. Well, I mean, at your age now and where you thought you, I mean, you were thinking maybe, maybe I should start thinking about this in three more years. Right. You would have been dead in three more years. Well, I mean, thanks. Yeah. Hopefully <laughs> well, not. Yeah, but, Hopefully but, not. You know, well, is that not true? Is it not necessarily true if like undiagnosed breast cancer won't do that? You know, I, I'm new to the breast cancer scene, but I've learned a lot. I think it depends on lots of features, like what kind is it? How quickly is it growing? How okay. abnormal are the cells? There's a lot of characteristics that sort of describe tumors. Mm-hmm. And 
Uh, this one, I don't know what would have happened if I'd waited two more years. It certainly would have been bigger. Yeah. It would have been a worse diagnosis for sure. The treatment would have been worse. Um, I think those things are for sure true. I, I, before I ask you about the surgeon, I just have to want to dive into the psychological part of it a little bit. Like yeah. you get sent for the initial before that you have no concerns, right? That's just like, I'm doing a thing. It's fine. Zero. Right. Zero. Then you get back the, Hey, something's abnormal. You're into, you're, you need a friend to push you a little bit. Where were you right in that space? Um, you mean around the being pushed? Yeah. Like why did you need to be pushed? I mean, I think the thing, the report, there's like a point at which stuff is just written in a different language, right? I mean, that's true for someone who's new to diabetes, all the tests and the different things that people are looking for. It's true there too, but this was all super new to me. So I see something that says microcalcifications and I'm like, well, micro sounds small. I'm sure I'll get to it when I get to it. You know, I think I probably Googled it and it said, well, half the time it could be benign and half the time, maybe not. But I thought, well, they're probably just teeny little things and how terrible could it be? Mm. So I, my initial response was sort of to make it micro. And um, I was appreciative that I got pushed to get follow-up because it turns out it really wasn't a micro problem at all. Yeah, that's interesting. So, mm -hmm. oh, well, and how did your friend know? Did they have experience? I think family history. Okay. And also maybe like they're in a different place on the continuum of like, when you get an abnormal result letter, just go do the thing. Like, don't wait, don't mess around, just go do the thing. Do you think there was any impact on your thinking from having diabetes and being so accustomed to just taking care of your own health? I've done a lot of thinking about this and I, I'm sure I'll do some more in the course of this conversation. I think I'm really attuned to all kinds of things in my body. Like all the things that diabetes could do, I'm on it. Like visual changes, I'm looking for them. Anything related to my kidneys, my blood sugar. Like I, I just am so tuned in to so many things. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, I like spend way too much thinking about what's happening in my body all the time. Right. I didn't have any reason to think that this particular thing would be a thing. So I like went all the way on the other end of the continuum. I think because I was expecting it to be negative or no big deal, I like didn't have anywhere to file worry about it. So yeah. typically I take really good care of myself. And um, if somebody says you need to go for more testing, I always go and do the more testing. But I think I just... It was like an outlier. It was brand new. And I thought it can't possibly be breast cancer because in my family, we don't do cancer. Mm. None of us. This is a very new thing for your family. Super new. How do you pick a competent surgeon? How do you know how to do that? Oh, really good question. So I have, you know, I, in the last podcast, I probably mentioned, but I work at one of our local medical centers. I have a lot of colleagues across the medical center who either have heard things or have worked with the surgeons, and I just put out feelers to my network, and I said, who would you recommend? Now, the thing that I think is interesting is that who people would recommend, you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder, right? Like, this person's really good. Well, what does that mean? That they're surgically very good, that they have a great bedside manner, that they're really smart, that they've written a lot of, you know, scholarly papers. But I, this person's name came up a few times and I said, okay, well, I'll reach out and see how quickly she can schedule me. And I got seen pretty soon. I was really grateful for that. I wonder if people know that doctors get scored by their outcomes and because right. of, and because of that, some of them don't take cases that aren't more slam dunky. 
And so their scores look great because they take the ones they know are going to work out. Mm-hmm. That's uh that happens. That's a thing. It um, is a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. I don't, I don't know whether like in my first outreach, I was like, okay, here's all my deets. I think I just said, I've done these steps and now I need a surgical consult. And mm-hmm. you know, can you see me? My mom, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday privately. And I told them like, my mom is only alive right now because Arden has diabetes. And and here's the connection. Mm-hmm. Here's the connection to that. Because I've spent so much time helping Arden navigate through healthcare, I am not a person who just hears the first thing they hear and goes, oh, okay, that sounds fine. It's what you yeah. said. You're the guy. So, you know, you're the lady. You said it. I'll do it. The yep. first surgeon that saw my mom after her cancer diagnosis told us um, she's not strong enough for surgery and said she should go to uh, rehab. And then get herself stronger. Then we'll do it. I was like, mm-hmm. uh, okay, you know, what do I know? That's okay. So my mom goes off to rehab. Now I did make the argument in the moment. I said four days ago she was fine. Like you know, like she hasn't deteriorated that much. Like she was mm-hmm. living her her life a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. She's not under some. She hasn't been under some duress forever. I don't know that this is necessary. Like like why don't you take out the cancer? No, no, mm-hmm. she needs the the PT. So my mom goes off for a month. I think to a physical therapy rehab center where she's living every day catheterized with a tumor Mm, in her mm. and doing PT to get herself stronger. Goes through the whole thing, does exactly what they want, makes herself stronger. And she's being booted out of the rehab now. Like, like, really try to imagine this. My mom lives by herself Mm -hmm. at at that point. She's incapable of taking care of herself now because of what's happening and they're telling us, well, her last day at rehab is Monday. And I just keep mm-hmm. thinking, oh, well, well, the surgeon's going to do the surgery now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday, we call the surgeon. We're like, what's going on? Like, when does she go to the hospital? And he's and doesn't call us back. Yeah. And, and, and finally, I pinned the guy down and got him on the phone. I'm like, what are you doing? And he mm-hmm. goes, well, I'm not going to be the one to kill your mom. And I'm oh, like, God. I'm like, isn't she dying? And he goes, Yeah. But I put her on that table. She's not going to do I said, dude, she did everything you said. And I and I thought to myself, oh, my God, he has no intention of helping her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I said, oh. And then we were in a panic. We moved my mom back to her apartment. We didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. She's now living by herself, catheterized with a giant tumor in her, like half fallen over. And mm-hmm. clear as day, my wife and I are standing outside of our house. And I'm just like thinking and thinking. I'm like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? All my family's frantically looking for doctors to call. And it just occurs to me that my neighbor's son, he became a surgeon and I called him and he's like, God, he's in his like mid twenties, you know, but Mm -hmm. he's like a real prodigy. He's at this doctor, he's at this hospital where there's like one opening every five years for this residency and he got it. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, like, all right. So I thought, okay, he must either know somebody or know something. Right. (laughs) So uh, I get him on the phone and he goes, "Uh, give me a minute. Contacts a friend from medical school who became a an oncology OB asks her, you think your guy would do this? She it's a, now it's a friend. Now, now I'm in the system. Like mm-hmm, now I'm behind mm-hmm. the scenes. Doctors are asking doctors to help me. No problem. My mom's got an appointment two days later, sees the guy. He looks at her and says, you know, Bev, listen, if we don't do anything, you're going to be dead in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? And she's like, well, I, I'd, I'd prefer my mom said, I'd like to go down swinging is what she said. And mm-hmm. uh, like, literally, like he, we moved us out of his office to pre-op testing, 
And she was on his schedule like four days later. Amazing. Yeah. And now it's a year and five months later and she's doing mm-hmm. great. It's amazing. The other guy was going to let her die. So I, I don't know how you pick a doctor, but keep that. There, there's a, a spectrum of experiences. For sure. Y- you have to I mean, fight for yourself. If you enjoy quality and comfort, you would enjoy the items available at CozyEarth.com. From bedding to bath towels, women's and men's clothing, and accessories, Cozy Earth has everything to make your earth a little cozier. You know what I'm saying. CozyEarth.com forward slash juice box. When you get there, just choose from, I don't know, whatever you want. But here's the real good thing. When you go to checkout, you put the offer code juice box in the offer code section at checkout, and you'll save 40% off of your entire order. That's insane. That's 40 cents off of every dollar you spend you're going to save when you use the offer code juice box at checkout. I'm about to pull on my Cozy Earth joggers and get on an airplane. I love flying in those joggers. Why? Never too hot, never too cold, always super comfortable, and you look good. The material is lovely, and I just, I don't know. Like, you know how when you see famous people in a photo, you're like, why do they look so nice? I think it's because they know to buy better clothing. CozyEarth.com forward slash juice box. Whether you want a great night's sleep or to towel off in style, you want Cozy Earth. Use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout to save 40% off of your entire order. The holidays are coming. You know what I'm saying? Now's the time. I'm going to tell you about one of the better decisions I made last year. I switched Arden's delivery of her diabetes supplies from where we were getting them to U.S. Med. And U.S. Med is more than edging out the service that we were getting from that previous company. Right from the comfort of your home or office, you can join over 1 million satisfied customers who rely on U.S. Med for courteous, knowledgeable, and trained customer care. And their representatives are going to keep you up to date with your medical and diabetic supplies, all delivered right to your door. USmed.com forward slash juice box or call 888-721-1514 to get your free benefits check right now. U.S. Med features a litany of things that you're going to love. How about an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau? They accept Medicare nationwide and over 800 private insurers. They carry everything from insulin pumps and diabetes testing supplies to the latest CGMs like the Freestyle Libre 3, the Dexcom G6, and the Dexcom G7. They always provide you with 90 days worth of supplies and fast and free shipping. Better service and better care is what you're going to get when you go to usmed.com forward slash juice box. On top of all of this, US Med is now dispensing Novolog Insulin Aspart and Humalog Insulin Lispro through their pharmacy benefits. What are you waiting for? usmed.com forward slash juice box 888-721-1514. US Med is the number one distributor for Freestyle Libre systems nationwide. They are the number one specialty distributor for Omnipod Dash. They are the place we got Arden's Omnipod 5s from. U.S. Med provides Arden with her Dexcom supplies. And they're the number one fastest growing tandem distributor nationwide. I mean, I guess I could say it again, but are you just already online getting it done? Are you even listening to me anymore? Or have you already called 888-721-1514? Don't like the phone? USmed.com forward slash juice box. The other day I got an email from U.S. Med 
and it said, are you, uh, you want some more supplies? Uh, I guess it was time. And I said, yes, I clicked the button and then they just showed up. You want to do it like that? It's pretty damn easy. USmed.com forward slash juice box. It just shouldn't have to be that way. And I know that it is. There's so many components of your story with your mother where I say, shouldn't have to be that way. Mm. You shouldn't have to be waiting and wondering. Families shouldn't have to read between the lines about like, are, are you a good case or not a good case? And I don't mean to throw surgeons under the bus at all. I think th there are so many twists and turns to healthcare and access. It's not even about finding a good fill in the blank. It's like finding an any fill in the blank who will be able to see me. Yeah. But I do think you're right about what you said about Arden's diabetes. My advocacy for myself, like in healthcare, will always be strong. Yeah. I mean, there's there's some downsides to that too. But if I had met this surgeon in the first visit and I was like, mm, no, I'm not, I don't feel this. I don't have a good vibe. I'm not going to let that person operate on me. But I would know I could request a second opinion. And I don't know how many people know that. Mm. There's a lot of us who just sort of get what we get and we don't get upset. And we are, we have to be active and advocate for ourselves in that space. It's interesting too, how easily you can feel pressured mm -hmm. and, and then it, it, it'll move you to like inactivity yeah. or to do something you wouldn't normally do. Like, because yeah. if I was a regular person, I would have thought, well, the doctor says my mom's not a candidate yeah. for surgery yeah. and we would have sent her to hospice. Yeah. And instead I was like, that's not right. Like that doesn't mm -hmm. make sense. Like I actually thought, who cares if she dies during the surgery, if she's going to die two months from now, the risk analysis there doesn't make sense of, of you know, now it, it's almost like the high and low blood sugar thing. Now I was mm -hmm. just, I was just talking, I was just recording with somebody else and we went over that idea of like the, their doctor was absolutely happy for their A1C to be in the nines. And then they found the podcast, got their A1C into the fives and the doctor's yelling at them. Mm -hmm. You're going to hurt yourself. Well, the nine A one C wasn't hurting me, right? It's like fascinating. I was like, I said, look, I don't want my mom to die next week, but she sounds like she's definitely going to die two months from now. So let's yeah. go. You know what I mean? Like, do something. And thankfully, she was there for it and and up for the the fight and everything. But and so too was the surgeon who worked uh, with her. Yeah. Uh, by the way, there's the the hero is the man who said, "Hey, listen, if she dies, at least we tried to help her." Mm -hmm. instead of protecting his score at the hospital, you know? And I was like, my God, like this, and how would anyone know that? Like, mm -hmm. how would anyone know that? I mean, I, I think if we set the scores aside for just a second, because that's a whole world that I think is both really sort of interesting and confusing and complex, and mm -hmm. I don't know a ton about it. But the other thing that I think is embedded in what you're describing is like, and I think it's the, one of the premises of your podcast information allows you to make the best choices you can. That's all you need. Yeah. So one surgeon's opinion is one surgeon's opinion. One endocrinologist's opinion is one endocrinologist's opinion. With diabetes care, this is a long-term relationship, hopefully, right? To find somebody that you feel like gets you and sees you and respects you and also gets and understands the, the micro details of diabetes such that they can partner with you, like that's a good find. Mm. It's not easy in time either. There's a little bit yeah. of an investment of effort on your part. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then if you take a, a something like cancer, there's fear in the mix too. You talked about being pressured or feeling pressured. I can think of fewer, more vulnerable, scary moments than being told on the phone, 
at 447 on a Monday evening by some lady I just met, um, you have breast cancer. Now you need to go and do all these other things. And on the phone, I'm like, okay, cool. Got it. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Hang up the phone. And I lost my stuffing. But the fear that comes with something new and scary that feels like it's threatening everything, how could you not feel pressured around the choice of a surgeon or on what do I do next? Who do I talk to? Like the fear and the overwhelm, I think, contribute to people feeling backed into a corner and not knowing that they have choices. You know, it's funny. I, I was talking to somebody recently who uh, was expressing that it's at a lot of the places they're shopping now, as they're checking out, the register person spins this screen around to them where they get to choose if they want to leave a tip or not. Mm. And, and and they and the, the person said like this is a scenario where no one's doing anything like this is not a tipping situation, mm-hmm. and I was like right she's like this is a, a cash register person who's ringing something up it's the same as been my entire life they're making a salary it's not like a wait person salary where they're making two dollars an hour and they're living on tips and I and I I was wondering like where does this story going because you're really like smart like driven like. Like solid, like human being. She goes, I, I give them a tip every time. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you want to? And she goes, no. I said, why are you doing it? She goes, I don't know. I can't take it. They're looking at me or there's mm-hmm. someone behind me. I don't want them to think I'm a bad person. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, look, it, isn't that interesting? It's that easy to reach into mm-hmm. that lady's pocket and take $2 from her, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it, my point is just that we can all get put into situations. They don't have to be about cancer or healthcare where you just, you'd end up doing the thing you'd, you'd, you wouldn't normally do if you weren't being mm-hmm. pressured. So, Well, I'll, I'll give you another example of like another step down the line on that same thing. You know, I'm an educated person. I, I spent a lot of time in school, um, took out a lot of student loans for my degree. I work in healthcare. I read voraciously about anything. If you told me I've got this rash, I'd be like, oh, tell me about the characteristics of the rash. And I would look it up. And I, you know, I I just am that kind of person where I'm going to go toward the information. The other thing that I do, though, is I ask a bunch of questions. And some of that is a way to help me manage my fear. Some of it is just to do what I said a minute ago, to have enough information with which to make the best decision I think I can. And so much of our healthcare system just doesn't, it's not designed to accommodate that. So I could say to the surgeon in this consultation, okay, well, what about this? And what about that? And what do you suspect that'll be like? And if I do that, but I don't do that, what can you tell me? And suddenly I'm in a visit that probably on her schedule is more time than she expected to spend because I don't want to leave that consultation agreeing to have her cut me open if I haven't asked all my questions. Right. That, of course, can go overboard real quick. But even as as educated and experienced as I am in as a healthcare person as a teacher and as a worker, I'm always worried, like, who's going to be like, oh, mm -mm, this lady's too much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Too anxious. She asks too many questions. She's she's a pain. Like, I don't want to be a pain. Mm -hmm. Well, especially because people have a way of leaving you when you're being a pain. Like, yeah, 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 right. So if I have a side effect from from a surgery that like, oh, like, oh, I'm I'm worried about this. I'm also worried, are they going to dismiss me as somebody who's just fearful and anxious? Or are they going to take me seriously? Mm-hmm. And I'm not always sure how it goes, which then means I have to come back and be persistent. And, you know, right. Yeah. I mean, in the end, I think you just have to ask the questions because their understanding of you, you can't control at all. So no. you might as well do what you know is right. And if they're incompatible, then move to someone who is compatible. Yeah. You know, 
I mean, maybe we're spoiled here, but the time, the idea about the timing of the uh, the appointments. I have to be honest. Arden's appointments at her endo are they're forever long. Yeah, they go on until we're done. Yep. And um, no one ever. I've never felt rushed in an endo appointment ever, but I can tell you that they're forty five minutes late to my appointment sometimes while while we're sitting in the room. Yep. Yep. And so I just try to sit there and think, okay, well, right now the doctor's talking to someone else who needs this, and they're going over because of that. And 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 don't be upset about it, you know. Just kind of let it be. But I mean, eventually the end of the day comes. Somebody's getting screwed at five o'clock, you know. So mm-hmm. it really is. A, I mean, obviously it's it's a it's a very well understood problem. The, yes. the length of time doctors have. Yes. But I don't know what you do. I also don't know. Like I I, of, I often want to put myself in their position too. Like how many of those questions are they just like, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, you know, but it does matter to you because like you said, some of those times, those questions are for your own comfort. There was a point in my initial back and forth, I think even before my surgery with the surgeon where I I interpreted the response as being like, okay, now you're asking too many questions. And I said to her, you know, I, I'm guessing you do this all the time and this might not look worrisome to you. This is my first rodeo and I hope to never come back. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I might've even apologized. I feel embarrassed to say that, but I'm so cognizant of that, like that, you know, eye roll that I wasn't supposed to see or, you know, something that seems mundane to them. It's everything to me. It's my first time, hopefully my only time, but it's scary and big and new and sometimes when I label that, the person on the other end is like, okay, of course, yes, of course, of course, you'd be scared. Of course, you have questions. You know, what else do you have? I hope it goes that way most of the time. It doesn't always, but. Well, it seems like that's a good way to reframe the conversation. So if in fact they're in their own head and just mm-hmm. going like, oh, here we go. Here comes the he's the next thing she's going to ask is this, like to right. be reminded that I've never, you've done this a million times. I've never done right. this before. That's so right. yeah, it's good. That's it's right. a really good point. Just to remind them that I'm not everybody. I'm me. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So the other, the, one other thing I'll say about that, there is something like universally human about somebody saying I'm scared right now. And I don't know very many people where I'm not friends with them anymore, where somebody said to them, listen, I'm scared that they wouldn't like pause and back up and be like, okay, mm. sorry. Like, let's just sort of slow down. As a patient, I don't want to lead with, I'm really freaking out right now. I want to look put together and cool and relax and all that stuff. But when I'm terrified, you know, if I can label it, sometimes it reminds the other person like, okay, it's too much. It's too fast. Can you just sort of slow down and be gentle? And I do think it's an invitation. To humanize the situation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's funny. As you were saying that, here's where my my mind jumped to. Don't they tell you when you're kidnapped to tell the kidnapper, like, who loves you and that there are people in your life and what your name is so that you mm-hmm. th- that you don't look like a, a possession to them, but you look mm-hmm. like a human being? And then mm-hmm. ho- hopefully try to make a connection. You really are saying that. You're saying, remind the doctor that you're a person, not a process. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not a, a disease. Yeah, it's not a, a cluster of cells. Mm-hmm. No, it's such a good idea. And you can also see how they could get in that situation too. For sure. Absolutely. I, you know, Absolutely. Listen, I'll share this with you. When I speak to people privately, which I don't do as much as I used to, but I still do it. Sometimes they'll want to get on the phone 
and tell me this big story about their diabetes that they think is going to illuminate the problem and then I'm going to figure out the problem. And after a number of conversations like that, what I learned was that their understanding of what's happening is so skewed that hearing the story is almost not valuable a lot of the mm-hmm. times. So I learned to ask questions. I'm like, I, and I'll say, look, I, I want to hear your story, but first, let, answer mm-hmm. these questions for me. Mm-hmm. And after they answer the questions, m- most often I'm able to point them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But the story they tell, like, the, I, I'm not going to lie, there have been moments where I'm on the phone, I'm like, I, I, I don't even know if I need to be here. You know what I mean? And and so I wonder how often doctors feel that way. Like, oh, they're mm-hmm. going to say this and then this and then this mm-hmm. and then they'll go to mm-hmm. this and then they're going to cry and then this is going to happen and we're all mm-hmm. still going to end up in the in the operating room anyway. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that doesn't happen, you know? It, I mean, it's got to at least some of the time. Yeah. And I, I'm like you, I can't fault, you know, the, the people or the times when it does happen because there are so many of us who need whatever is the thing, a surgeon an oncologist, an endocrinologist. So I do, part of me gets that. Yeah. No. But then when I'm in the room, it's like that, <laughs> yeah. that wackadoo funhouse mirror thing where I'm like, I, I just feel like I need to be the only one in the world right now. Yeah. And nothing wrong with it. Right. I mean, even if you want to just look at it from a business model, you're paying, you know, yeah. so do the thing. If they can catch me, I'll pay. <laughs> uh, you haven't paid for that surgery yet? Uh, I mean, health insurance is a good thing. I'm very fortunate to have it. It's a good point. What was your out-of-pocket for the surgery? So I, this is going to sound super twisted. I play a game every year with my health insurance where I, I have a high deductible plan, but the, and I, I, every year I'm like, how quickly can I meet it? Diabetes is quite costly. So if I fill all my supplies at the start of the year, I'm out a couple grand between that and other stuff with my family, then I'm like, cool. Now I'm in my my regular co-insurance frame of mind. It happened to be that last year I had the surgery in um, November and actually had a second one in December. Um, I'd already met my out-of-pocket maximum. So cost to me was zero. Wow. But it was only because I was already out thousands and thousands of dollars from the, the workup, MRI, biopsy, mammograms. Mm-hmm. We yeah. had that year. Every once in a while, cyclically, it all just sort of like hits at the same time. Mm-hmm. And all mm-hmm. of Arden's supplies are due in January. Yep. And at the end of January, you're like dizzy. I, I said to Kelly, I'm oh, like, yeah. I think I spent, I think I spent like $2,000 this month. Yep. She's like, how? I'm like, she needed her CGMs right away. She needed her this right away, that right away. And yep. there was, and yep. none of the copay had been met. So right. I was like, oh, holy hell. It, it, yep. In the end, it doesn't matter. You're going to pay the two grand at some point. But yep. it, when it all happens at once, it's like, it's, yep. it's off-putting. But it's helped you because then, well, yep. it, it doesn't really. You're just spreading the money around in different places. It's spreading, yeah, it's yeah. spreading it out. Yeah. So you find the surgeon and you, how long from when you say, okay, I'm going to use the surgeon do you have an appointment for the surgery? A month. I, I that's I want to know about that month. Yeah. So I, I'm not a surgeon. I'm not an oncologist. I'm not, I'm not, you know, my experience is my own. That's all I know. But I leave the appointment and the scheduler says, okay, well, here's your date. And I'm like, okay, great. And part of me is like, oh, good, that's soon. And then I leave and go home and I'm like, oh my God, that's like a month away. What am I going to do for a month? What must she think about what she knows so far that she's willing to let this thing sit in here for a month? Does it mean that it's not worrisome to her? Does it mean it's not dangerous? Does it mean she doesn't think something terrible is going to happen in a month? 
if it was really bad, would she say, come in next week? So there was a lot of sort of like mental math, but like they were all variables because I didn't actually know for sure. Yeah. All I knew was there's my date. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to get ready. Well, here's the worst part. What if it's really bad, but I only do three surgeries a day and there's 90 people ahead of you. So you have to wait a month. I mean, that would have been terrible too. Um, You know, I would hope that if it was bad, that this person would have said, listen, this really needs to be operated on sooner. I'm going to refer you to a colleague. Like I I think most people would do that. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that the initial diagnostics, like the biopsy and the MRI were reassuring enough that this is a relatively small, relatively contained, shouldn't be that terrible. A month is going to be okay. Gotcha. And so psychologically that month, are you, are you worried the whole time? I think I had a mix of like, cool, no problem. Cause in a month, this thing's going to be out and I'm going to be good to go. And terror because my experience with surgery is like not that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a baby that came out surgically and that's pretty much all I've had. So I had terror about the surgery, worry about anesthesia, worry about my blood sugar, worry about what's growing and how bad is it going to be by the time she gets there? And can I really trust these people? But then also like, I have a job and I have a kid and I have other stuff to do. So I'm just going to try to ignore it until I get closer. I would say the worst of it was probably like the week before the surgery. Yeah. How did you manage your blood sugar? Did you talk to the surgeon about like, did you leave your CGM on thing? Your pump? I left on the CGM. I left on the pump and you know, there's been a couple of posts in the last several weeks about what do I do for these surgeries? The good news is, you know, my surgery was relatively short. The case was not scheduled for a long time. But she basically said, you'll need to talk to anesthesia about it. That's not up to me, which I think is not uncommon. Mm -hmm. The anesthesia team who's managing that stuff in the moment, I think really got the say so, at least as it relates to my case. So I had a, you know, a pregame call with the anesthesia nurse to say, listen, I'm coming in with this. I've already talked with my endocrinologist. I'm going to set activity mode several hours prior to my arrival time. I know I'll be NPO, but I'm going to aim to be in this range. And so I will like fed them all this stuff. I'm like, I'm going to be good to go. Don't worry about me. And by the time the anesthesiologist came around, they were like, okay, cool. No problem. Yeah. Because you understood what you needed to do Mm -hmm. better than they did. Uh, Probably. Yeah. Right. The the anesthesiologist was probably like, oh, well, this lady's got this. Um, Right. Thank God, because I don't really want to worry about it. She's got it. Cool. Day before, did you worry about that? Right? There's a time you can't eat after midnight. Did you think, what if, yes. my, what if my blood sugar gets low? Well, the guidance I got from the surgeon was, if you get low, you can do clears like apple juice. And okay. I'm like, okay, that's probably not exactly how I would treat alone. You know, I I can't eat anything else. There's, uh, you know, that's going to get me to spike quickly, potentially, unless I have three thimbles full of apple juice or whatever. I knew I could do that if I needed to, and I didn't end up needing to, which is sort of amazing with all the stress that was on board, but things were really stable. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, Mm -hmm. Are you using algorithm? Um, I use control IQ. Control IQ. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you eat differently in the lead up to the days before? Did you like go with more lower carb items? So you weren't using a lot of insulin. Did you give it any kind of thought like that? I feel like maybe I should have talked to you. I feel like I ate junk before because I'm like, what if I don't come out of surgery? I'm gonna... <laughs> I got to get a I, ring ding in before this thing. Ends. I mean, I got to I got <laughs> to hit the drive through before I go under anesthesia. I don't I don't remember making modifications and I certainly didn't get guidance from it from anybody else. The only stuff I got was really about 
you know, not taking anything by mouth after midnight except for clears endocrine's guidance about, um, you know, the activity mode. But I didn't really get anything else in terms of ways to keep things really stable for the couple of days prior. I laughed. I got an image in my mind of your car full of like fast food takeout bags and candy wrappers. And you're like, if I'm going out, <laughs> this is how I'm going. Go big or go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One more Milky Way dark before this is over. <laughs> so bad. Uh, all right. So the, the surgery itself, I mean, it sounds like it ended up being no issue. It was no issue from a diabetes perspective. It was very smooth sailing. Um, it was a short duration. You know, I got up, I, you know, I came out of anesthesia easily, no problem. Tested my blood sugar. You know, they always want you to use their meters. And I was like, really, though? So they take out this thing that's like the size of a briefcase. And they're like, this is our hospital glucometer. I'm like, okay. So everything was fine. I went home and I slept the rest of the day, basically. You know, not a lot of appetite, but the nice thing about algorithm is that it didn't matter too much. You know, things stayed really stable because I just had basil on board. Oh, I wish I wish people knew, uh, more people knew that if you have good settings on an algorithm, you can fast for so long without yep. needing food. Uh, I don't know a ton about this procedure. Is that a lumpectomy that you had? This was a lumpectomy, yep. Okay. And, and what's the prognosis afterwards? What do they say? Well, I mean, it sort of depends on lots of things. So after a, a cancer tumor removal, something like this, a lumpectomy, um, all of that gets sent to a pathologist to review it and to analyze what they take out to make sure it's what they thought it was. And if it's something else to sort of describe the characteristics to, you know, to say what should happen next. So aside from the week before the surgery, the worst was probably the three weeks after the surgery where it was just like an abyss of there's going to be more treatment but we don't know exactly what we got to wait for these results. And they just took forever. It felt like forever. Wow. So by the time I finally got the report, it came to me through my electronic chart. You know, I don't know how many people have that electronic health record, but I get a notification on my email that says you have new results. I'm like, sweet. So I pop in there figuring I'm just going to read. Yep. This is exactly how they said it was going to be. And that's like reading something in Klingon. I mean, like it was all some other language that I didn't understand. Yeah. But I zero in on, okay, what's this marker and what's this receptor and what does that mean and how much of that and why does this say invasive and what does that mean? And the the punchline is that there was um, infiltration that they didn't expect. It had sort of moved to an area that they didn't expect based on the imaging. I did think to myself, did this happen in the month that I was waiting? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I can't really spend too much time there because- by the time I got to surgery, it was what it was. Yeah. You know, their initial thought about what the cancer was evolved based on those results. And then they said, well, um, now that we know that there's evidence of invasive disease here, we want to get some more information. We want to biopsy your lymph nodes and we want to take some more tissue from around the initial site. So I had a second lumpectomy and a lymph node biopsy a month later. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Is there an indication that this is, I mean, what is that this is the end conversation or do you have to get anything? Is there any medications, chemotherapy afterwards? Do they start talking about like taking your breasts? Is there anything like that? Or is it just, we'll do this? And right. this really, okay. really good questions. Yeah, so yeah. like at the initial, you know, I'm meeting with a surgeon. So to rewind the table a bit, I'm sitting with a surgeon. She says, listen, this is what we think you have. We think this is contained in the duct, like in the milk duct. 
you know, you could choose anything from a lumpectomy to a bilateral mastectomy. And I'm like, why would anybody do that? And there are good reasons why people would do that if they have a family history, if they're concerned about it coming back. You know, I mean, I'm concerned about it coming back, but if there are other risk factors, they might say, listen, just take them both because I don't really want to deal with this. I'm so scared. Just take them. And that's a reasonable choice, even for relatively contained disease. But I was like, mm, I feel pretty attached to these. Um, I would like to keep them. So let's just take out the lump and we'll go from there. So when the results came back, she said, okay, well, we now need to make sure it hasn't spread other places. The lymph node is going to give us information about that because if the lymph nodes have picked up some of these cancer cells, that's what makes makes risk for it to go elsewhere in your body and to have you know metastasis. So I'm like, okay, well, let's get this lymph node out and figure out what's going on because by that, I mean, by that time I'm terrified. I'm yeah. like, okay, what if, what if the fact that I keep forgetting what to pack for my kid's lunch is because I actually have a brain tumor? Or what if that ache in my back is actually some other tumor? Or what if my exhaustion is not just the fact that I just had surgery, but it's because I have some other kind of cancer? Yeah. So then my wheels start turning. Um, <clears throat> by the time the second surgery was done, the lymph nodes came back negative, which is super reassuring. But if they'd been positive, um, I would have been in for a course of chemotherapy. I knew I was going to get radiation either way. Um, and then I'm going to be, I had just started on a um, an oral medication that basically blocks uh, estrogen receptors that's supposed to reduce the risk of this thing coming back. Okay. And how long has it been now since that they looked at the lymph node? Um, so that was December 9th. It's been four months. How many months? Yeah. Yeah. Three. Wait, January, February, three months. Mm -hmm. When's the next time you see the doctor? I see. I mean, now I've, now I'll see a whole bunch of people. I had um, several weeks of radiation. So I saw somebody every day. Um, I'll see the surgeon again later this month. I'll see medical oncology who's managing the medicines. I'll see radiation oncology again in several months. So I think I'm going to be seeing somebody from someone in the team probably every three months for the foreseeable future, wow. maybe a couple of years. And, and that and that's the plan. Keep going back, mm -hmm. checking up, and then eventually will they how long does that have to go on before before they say, okay, you don't have to see us this frequently and I think a year or two plus, you know, follow up mammograms every six months. How do you feel right now, like what about where things are? Do you feel comfortable or is it, are you off kilter? I feel comfortable enough. It's really a relief. I mean, radiation was every day for weeks. So, you know, working a full day, running in, getting my treatment, coming home, managing my kid. Like it, it was like a big chunk of my life for not very long, but it felt very invasive, I mm -hmm. guess, for lack of a better way. I'm worried about the medication. I'm worried about the impact on my diabetes, frankly. Um, I'm worried about the side effects, but energetically, like I feel pretty good. Yeah. What What are some of the medication impacts you're worried about? Well, this medication blocks estrogen receptors. And so some people develop symptoms that are like menopause. There's like a whole list of those. None of them sound good to me. There's GI side effect potential. So the physician was really good. I said, listen, I'm kind of worried about this medication. And she said, most of the side effects that people have most of the time are annoying, but tolerable. I always think it's interesting when a physician says tolerable because 
To you. I'm tolerating it. (laughs) So annoying, but tolerable. But some other ones include like blood clots. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound good. Mm. Um, Which I don't know how I'm going to know. I've never wondered if I had a blood clot. (laughs) You'll have a heart attack. That's how you'll know. (laughs) I mean, great. And then will it be because of the medication or because of diabetes? Like, no, thanks. Mm -hmm. I see. I see what you're saying. It it is interesting. I mean, I don't know what else they would say. You know what I mean? But the, Mm -hmm. the idea of like, don't worry, it'll be tolerable. Mm-hmm. I, I, what does that mean? Like, so I what, mean, it's it's going to be more tolerable than getting breast cancer again on that side. I think that's what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not it's not I the other alternative. So, right. Um, any feeling of you have to be kidding me? I have type one diabetes. I'm getting cancer too. Okay, here's like the real real. I someday I'm going to write a book and. I'm going to call it like the short straw, which is funny because I'm also short. I know we talked about that in the first recording, but I'm not bringing it up this time. (laughs) Somebody, thank you. Somebody draws the short straw and I'm like, can somebody else please draw it? Like, or what if we threw the straw away? Why are any of us drawing the straw? Why are we struck? Like, is there like a certain number of people that have to get extra BS things for their health? And like, why, why does it have to be me? So I definitely have that. Like, why me? I also have like, okay, well, there isn't like a certain number of people who are going to get it. And, you know, I just am unlucky. I think it's like, I am pretty well equipped. Honestly, I'm equipped because I have experience with chronic illness. I'm equipped because I know how to navigate healthcare. I'm equipped because I have family support. I'm equipped because I have health insurance. Like I, I, I have the, I have pretty good stuff to be able to navigate unlucky. Mm -hmm. And I really wish I didn't have it. I really hope I don't get it again or something worse. And I've grown up with diabetes. Like I'm looking at all these parents with kids with new diagnosis who are so scared about so many things. And I think, you know what? These kids are going to do great if they use all the technologies and they have all the support and they know how much you're, you're invested in them. I've had diabetes a long time. I've never had a fantasy that my life was going to be without complication on the health yeah. side. I just didn't expect it was going to be this. I think it's it's interesting because what you just said, I believe in a million percent. Like you know, the technology's better, our understanding's better. People understand how to use insulin better, understand nutrition more. If you don't, you can get education from a lot of different places. And yet, if you said that to me and my kid was newly diagnosed, I'd think, yeah, but somebody, it's going to go wrong for somebody. Is it going to be me? Is it going to be her? You know, it could be. And then that's enough of the unknown to not allow you to accept the fact that overwhelmingly you're probably going to be okay. Yeah. You know, I think that's right. Yeah, it sucks because there's no way to just. And and here's the secret for people who want the secret you have to do everything that you can do and then believe that it's going to be okay. And then if it's not, do everything that you can do. And then as soon as you're done, believe it's going to be okay. And that, that pacing, not just big picture, but the truth is, is that that's the same frame of mind I use around correcting like a, a blood sugar, Mm -hmm. you know, like there'll be times as an example, there'll be a time when I see a number and I'm like, we have to correct that. We correct it and everything works out the way we expect. And then one time you correct that same number and you end up low. Yep. You can't say, well, we did this four times and one time a low came, so we'll never do it again. You actually have to think the opposite about it. Like I did this four times and three times it worked out exactly the way I expected it to. Yeah. And and that's our goal. And that that's hard. 
I can tell you from my perspective, like pulling that trigger yeah. at two o'clock in the morning and you're like, this needs insulin. Yeah. And you think, but I don't want her to get low. Yeah. But I have to be willing to see the low because yeah. this is the right thing to do. You make yourself crazy if you live in the uncertainty of it. So you just say, I'm doing the right thing. And you continue to do the right thing. I mean, earlier you talked about sometimes in fear, people get paralyzed, right? Like that scenario that you're raising now is the same kind of thing. You just have to do the next right thing as best you can. Right. And then if you come to learn later with new information, oh, well, maybe that wasn't the right thing. Then you manage the next moment with the same thinking. Like, mm -hmm. I just got to do the best thing that I know how to do right now. And um, it's true here too. It's true with diabetes all the time, but it's true here too. My fear was not going to keep me from getting surgery or having radiation or swallowing this pill. Yeah. But if I come to learn, oh, well, that wasn't right, or now there's new information, I'll take the new information and then do the rightest next thing then. The best example, it, because of the lack of oxygen and the speed and and the, the, the force that it takes to put a person into space, it's, it's a perfect example for this. Because we've shot people, humanity has shot people into space however many times they've done it. And overwhelmingly, the, those people have come back. Mm -hmm. Some people died at launch. Some people didn't get off the launch pad. Some people got up into the sky but never made it to space. Some people got out into space but couldn't make it home. But overwhelmingly, most of them came back. And they all did the same thing. They did the next most important. They kept making the next most important decision. And and that's what that's what healthcare is. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what mm -hmm. life is. is. You you don't you just keep making the best decision available to you. And even if it's a chess game, like you ever you know, do you ever see um somebody will lay over their queen and give up, right? Again, they'll say, Well, in five moves I was done. Mm -hmm. I I would have played out the five moves. Yeah. And and I, I think of it that way. Like just yeah. keep going because because the odds are you're gonna play right till the end of the game. Yeah. And so there's just no value in throwing your hands up and giving up or saying, oh, I'm not gonna do you know, I'm I'm gonna take a big risk here when I know yeah. this next good I don't know. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but you just I think of life as like I'm in a tin can and there's no atmosphere around me and I just keep making the decisions that keep me alive. So, well, so. I mean, it sounds like you're taking a play out of your mom's playbook. You want to go down swinging. Yeah, uh, that playbook, I gave that to my mom. So, oh, well, yeah, sorry, yeah. I was trying to like give props to your mom. And I think um, I definitely am the kind of person who wants to know the end, right? And I don't mean like, oh, how am I going to die or when? What I mean is I want to know what's the end point of this thing. So if I do this, then what happens? And then what happens next? I, I want the map, right? Mm -hmm. And in so many ways, that's about like having a feeling of power or control to help manage fear. But there's so much stuff that you can't know in advance. So the amount of trust that I have to put in somebody else, like a surgeon or a medical oncologist or whoever, to say, okay, well, we think, you know, the odds are really good that this is going to end up okay. And I'm like, okay, but I want to know how this story ends. In fact, when I wrote to you, um, you and I we joked a little bit and I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't record this until I know there's a happy ending because like I'm not at the end of the the road with it yet, yeah. right? Um, and even as I got ready to sit down today to record, I thought, okay, well, what am I going to focus on? What am I going to talk about? Because this isn't really done. Right. 
And nobody's going to come out and be like, okay, um, here's the point at which we think there's cure because there's already evidence that my body is doing wackadoo things. So this particular thing, this whack-a-mole situation could be over with for now, but like be vigilant. So if I can't have the map, if I can't be in control of what's going to happen next, the only thing I have left is to do the next thing as right as I can. Right. And, and folded into that is keep living your life the same way too. You have children and you know, you have, uh, you're, you're married, you have like, there's a life here. Like just, you keep doing the things with the intention of making it till the end. I don't know if it's, it's just the cancer that that speeds up the idea in people's heads. Mm-hmm. This is what life is. You're just experiencing it now on a what feels like a faster timetable, mm-hmm. even though that's very well may not even be true. Mm-hmm. Being able to see the having the feeling that you see what happens at the end, it mm-hmm. it gives you that feeling like it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. But mm-hmm. we don't think about that day to day. Like there's somebody. Listen, there's, someone's listening right now who 25 years from now is going to get hit by a car and killed. Oh, God. Well, it's true. And so, like, but that person will never live their life as if that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. If they did, that would be insane. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to think about it because it's not real, but it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And mm-hmm. and you're forced into a situation where it it's very real and it feels like it could very well happen. And the secret... I guess the or the conundrum is how do I take the next step mm-hmm. imagining no this is not going to be what happens because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter it's all in your I know it sounds crazy it's all in your head yeah. like it's worrying about I mean what is it I said on that podcast one time like worry is a waste of imagination right um but the problem is at this point you're not just in a worry situation like there's real yep. things happening in front of you yep. and so how do you find For the sure. balance well, I'll tell you what, you know, I, I've had diabetes a long time. And if you were to have asked me prior to all this cancer stuff, like what's going to be the thing? I mean, it's morbid, right? Who would sit down at a party and ask me this? Like, how do you think you're going to die? But I would have said there's going to be some complication, you know, a cardiovascular thing. Something's going to happen because I will have had diabetes for a long time, no matter when the end of the road is for me. Yeah. The thing that was hardest has been hardest so far about this thing with breast cancer is that I didn't see it coming. Anything related to diabetes, if I go and see a cardiologist and they say, hey, listen, you know, I, I really see evidence of diabetes in your large vessels, I would be like, yep, okay, I knew that was coming because I've had diabetes almost my whole life. Hopefully not. Hopefully that won't ever happen. But like, I I almost could have expected, oh, it could be something like that. I don't want to be blindsided. So this thing about like, none of us can script how anything goes, really. There's so much variability and so much that's out of our control. But I, back to an earlier point you made, like, I have enjoyed the feeling of like, oh, I got diabetes. I know what to do with this every day for as best as I can do for as long as I'm going to do it to prevent those catastrophic things from happening. And even if there is a complication, I know how to handle it. I know who I would see. I know what I would do. I'm going to get the best treatment I know how to ask for. It's just that I didn't see this coming. Yeah. No. So in that like blindsided feeling, I'm like, someone better give me a freaking map because I do not like this ride. So because that map doesn't really exist, what is it? What do you think you're going to do? I'm going to do the next thing, right? Like I'm going to go to all my appointments. I'm going to go for my surveillance and my follow-up scans. I'm going to take this pill every day, even if I have hot flashes. 
I'm going to keep managing diabetes. I'm going to whack them all the other stuff that pops up. You know, I have not, I've not really walked up to like, is there some big life thing that I want to do differently now that I have felt like there was some threat? Like once the pathology came back in, I went into this like rabbit hole of like, oh my God, I'm going to leave my daughter without a mother. And whether that was based on reality or not, I was so terrified by what I read. But the only thing I did differently with that was like probably hug her a little bit longer, you know? Is it because you don't want to make her upset? Is it because you don't? I, I have this thing where my son left a couple months ago to take a job. Once or twice a day, it occurs to me to tell him that I miss him. Mm-hmm. And I don't because I don't want him to worry about me. Right. And at the same time, then I think, but I don't want him to think I don't miss him. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a, it's like, it feels like a carousel I don't know when to jump off of. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I acted like an adult and I waited a certain amount of time and, you know, so that I didn't look like a lunatic. It was like, I miss you. Like, you know, like, cause I don't feel that way. I just miss him. I miss him being here. And, um, I just took the opportunity a couple of months after he was gone and I actually just sent a text because I figured like, that's how they talk to each other. Like if I'm going to get on the phone with him or look him in the eye and be like, I miss you, buddy. He's going to be like, Whoa, what's happening? Like, are you dying? Mm -hmm. You you know? Mm -hmm. So I just sent a text to both the kids at the same time. And I said, Hey guys, I want you to know that I miss you. And I'm very proud of both of you. Um, Mm -hmm. But I want you to know that we're okay here. Like just because we miss you doesn't mean mom and I aren't all right. And mm-hmm. um, it just, you know, I'm, I'm happy for what you guys are doing. And and I just, instead of wondering what one small sentence would do, I just gave the whole thing to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I was like, let him know exactly how I feel, not just a piece of it, but the entire thing. I don't want to just be telling you, I miss you. I'm afraid it'll it'll make you feel bad. And I don't want you yeah. to feel bad. I want you to be doing what you're doing. And I, I imagine that you get into that same situation, like you probably... There's probably part of you that just wants to like grab everybody, put everybody on a love seat and just sit there, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can't do that because it's bad for them. It's bad for you. And it's, you know, and it very well might not be necessary. Mm -hmm. I have another question. uh, Answer that. Then I'll ask my other question. My daughter is 12 and, you know, this, like, I, I'm going to leave her motherless thing. Like I, um, my game face with her was everything's going to be fine. This is all going to be fine. I'm going to go get this surgery. Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to have another surgery. Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to get radiation. Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to take this medication. And some part of me has to believe it enough to tell her right? because I really can't, like I can't for her and I can't for me really entertain the possibility that it's not going to be okay. Yeah. There's no benefit in it, honestly. I mean, it, where 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 would it get you? I mean, there's a part of me that's also like, okay, but that's real. I'm I'm sitting here crying by myself because I'm scared that something terrible and catastrophic is going to happen, and I won't have told her all the things I want to tell her before she turns 13. Like, yeah, the, the, what you said about how to gauge, like, how much is the right amount? How mu- how brave do you need to show yourself to be? How authentic can you be about some of the softer stuff? And you know, I just tried to figure it out with her. Like I'm gauging how much she can handle. I'm stopping when it looks like she's had too much. And I really did believe this is all going to be okay. And even if it's worse than I thought, or even if it's, there's more down the line, like we'll make it okay. We'll make it okay. Cause by the time we get there, we will have figured out how to be okay. 
I once thought, oh, I am going to write another book. I'm going to end up writing down everything I wanted to tell my kids that I forgot to tell them. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, and I, it would be creepy if I just wrote it down and handed it to them. Maybe I'll write a book about it. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, oh, writing a book so difficult. Maybe I'll just make a podcast about it. <laughs> I mean, either way. Yeah. Either way. Um, but it, it really is the, uh, it's a conundrum. It just, it, there doesn't seem to be a win in it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. as my son was leaving, I was like, oh my God, there's so many things I didn't tell you. Like, and then I thought, I'm never going to tell him these things. Like, I'm going to stay involved in his life. And when I see an intersecting of moments, I'll say a thing. And hopefully right. I don't get too old too fast and I can stay on my toes. You know what I mean? Right. And and right. and we do that. Like, you know, there are days like I don't talk to him. And I think, oh, I should have called him today. And But he's like going to a job and coming home and cooking for himself and cleaning his place. And, you know, like he's... He's learning how to be a person by himself. He doesn't need to talk to me every day. I need to talk to him every day. He doesn't need to talk to me every day. And so like when we finally do talk and we kind of go over things and, you know, he'll, he'll ask questions and he's like, I don't know. What do you think this means? You know, about a work thing or something like that. And I'll say, well, I I know how it seems to me, but you tell me what it feels like to you. And then Mm -hmm. he tells me and I go, that seems reasonable to me. Or I think I would pay more attention to this part of it or, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and then, there's this odd moment. This is the worst. There's this odd moment when you're done talking and you don't want to hang up, but there's just nothing left to say at the moment. Mm-hmm. And you're like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to go mm-hmm. back to, you know, I'm going to go back to work. And then we're like, bye. And it was over. And I think, oh, he was right there. I should have thought of something else to say, mm-hmm. but um, it'd be real weird if you were like, can I just listen to you breathing? <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Although he and his girlfriend that. watch movies together over FaceTime. I mean, because they both took jobs in different cities and it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so here's my question. Are there days when you forget about all this and you get back into real life, like petty minor things? And does, does the cancer make you ever think, why do we care about this? Or do you, Mm -hmm. or do you find that you fall back into it and it's very comfortable just to worry about things that you now know don't matter? Cause you now have, by the way, you now have, you have perspective from a number of angles that people don't get perspective from. You have perspective from a diabetes perspective. You have di- you have perspective from a cancer perspective. You're pretty high up on the perspective level at this point. But mm-hmm. doesn't that does that still not mean that you don't walk into the kitchen and say something like, "No one cleans these dishes but me." Like like you know or like it, how does that all go? I think I've definitely had less tolerance for things that someone else is like, oh, this is super important. And I'm like, okay, but it's not. I, I mean, there definitely has have been stretches of time like that. Today, I think I'm I'm probably still too close to be fully back into business as usual. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got scars that haven't fully healed. I've got, you know, stuff from radiation, things that are just like reminders every day when I get out of the shower. I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. Now, this is like really pretty recent. I think I had a fantasy that it was just going to be, all right, X number of months of treatment and then I'll be on the other side. I, I do think I am quicker in my mind to think this isn't really that important. What I haven't quite mastered is how to finesse, like navigating that with other people. Um, me, me, you know, I don't want to be. Oh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like it seems over to them, but it's not over to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're almost like a. You're almost like a person who came home from war and everybody's acting like it's over and you're like, I'm still having bad dreams. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I brought it up because my mom the other day was like, 
you know, she's 80 and, you know, she's, she's living in a place where she doesn't have a ton of mobility. Like she can't just run out to the store if she wants to and stuff like that. And so my brother works a weird shift and he can't call her back right away. And she's right on the phone to me. She's like, nobody's calling me back and I'm running out of milk. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, all right, mom. And then we're talking about it and everything. And, and I wish she wasn't 80 because Mm -hmm. what I wanted to say to her was, mom, do you remember like last year when we all thought you were going to die? Mm-hmm. and you thought you were going to die and it looked like you were going to die. What are we doing here right now? Well, who cares? You know, mm-hmm. like, like, let's get you some milk. Like, just figure it out. Don't be mad at people. Like, let's just get, and so I talked to my brother and I was like, Hey, she just, who cares? Like buy her 20 gallons of milk. Like just put it, pile it up on the walls. If that's what she wants, like who cares? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, she gets like stuff where she lives. And I was like, yeah, but she doesn't always want to go to the cafeteria. And he said, yeah. And he's like, well, she doesn't have that much money. I'm like, Brian, it doesn't matter. Like, like just give her milk. Like she almost mm-hmm. died. She's 80. Like, just mm-hmm. let her do what she wants to do. And he agrees. Like, don't get me wrong. He's not like my, my brother's not like withholding milk from my mom, but, um, but it's, can you imagine what a, what a weird power move. Uh, but, but um, it's it just that idea of like, this isn't important enough to be upset about. Like we saw like the edge of death, like mm-hmm. just let's just do what makes her happy. Who cares? Mm-hmm. You, you know, a- anyway, like it's just interesting to watch. Like my mom, like she slipped back into it. I was, and I, and like I said, if she was younger, I would have said, mom, I don't think this is something we should be worrying about because, you know, you cheated death. Like, let's be happy and enjoy every moment. But right. it was funny how quickly she slipped back into like, well, I don't know how I'm going to get my cereal. And I'm like, oh, okay, mom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know. It just, it, it happens to like your kids move away or something, anything happens in life. And for a minute, you're full of this like perspective in your face. And yes. Yes. so I guess you'd be excited for the time when it would go away. I will be excited for the time when it's not on my mind every yeah, day. Yeah, I would think, I guess so, huh? You know, one of my favorite features of my relationship with diabetes is that I, I just have gotten to know it well enough and how it behaves that I don't, I don't worry about it every day. I really don't. You know, it's like my pump is set, my Dexcom's uh, on point, like every everything's fine, right? And it, it is humming along in the background. It's always there. It's not like I ignore it, but it's always there. It doesn't require a lot of like active attention. Right. So what you're describing is like that moment where this stuff that's a threat or that that stokes fear moves into some background activity on the processor. And then, then you're back to worrying about regular BS. Yeah, I hate the regular stuff, honestly. I, I don't want to be always upset and worried about big ideas, but I, I also just, I'm not a person who wants to be like bitching that somebody didn't replace yeah. the paper towels. You know what I mean? Like, so anyway. Yeah, I, I think that's a good move. I mean, like, if it helps you to clarify what's really important, this thing with your mother, like, that's a good outcome, right? If it helps you to clarify this stuff is piddly and isn't really worth it, that's not worth a fight. Um, but that thing is like, those things are clarifying moments that I think has got to be like the best gift of something that's really scary, especially with your health. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, it is one of those things like, right. If it doesn't get you, you do come out the other side with a clearer understanding of the world. You can. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You're right. I guess we're lucky if we choose to see it. Some people don't. I don't even see it as something not worth being upset about. I almost sometimes see it as something not even worth I don't know, knowing exists just, yeah. you know, like, what are we doing here? Talking about like, like if, you know, if mom wants this, this and this in her house at all times and it goes bad because she doesn't use it I, I, and we can afford it. 
I don't know. I don't know what we're talking about here. You know, like just I don't. I don't even want to think about it. Let's just get it done. So I am pretty sure that twenty gallons of milk would go go bad real quick. Yeah, I was making. I was making that up, but <laughs> I think she wants a pint or a half a gallon or something like that. You know, get her get her a cow. Get her a dairy cow. Call it a day. <laughs> She's in Wisconsin. There's probably one walking around outside. Okay. <laughs> she could just go find it herself. And it's it really honestly when she was talking, what I really heard was. I don't have enough control over my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I'd like to be in a little more control of things. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and that's, I was like, okay, like, well, let's get, because I told her, I was like, mom, listen, if you want, I said, we can get you an app. You can order food online. They'll bring it to you. And then my mm-hmm. brother, my brother goes, do you think mom's going to be able to run that app? And I was like, oh, that's a good, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. She's going to end up, <laughs> she'll buy a real cow. It'll show up at her house. And mm-hmm. um, I said, so I said to her, I'm like, well, I said, mom, I'll put the app on my phone and you and I can just, you know, do it together. Like we'll get online. Mm-hmm. You'll tell me what you need and I'll, I'll make sure you get it. You know, however, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is not an insurmountable problem. Like let's, let's, right. let's not be upset. You know, she's lucky. How so? She's lucky that you see her and what she needs and what really matters as clearly as you do. I don't know what the point is of trying to, I mean, she's 80, you know what I mean? Like uh, what, what are we going to, we're going to fix something now. You know what I mean? Like it's, she's got, a, she's got her thing going and she, there's things she needs and my feelings about them or someone else's feelings or how it makes, you know, how her uh, situation makes another person feel. It's just, it's not important. It just yeah. doesn't matter. You know, something's going to happen one day and you're going to be back in the reality of it. And the first thing you're going to think is, oh, I shouldn't have made such a big deal out of this thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. just, I don't know. Just try to remember that in the moments when, you're not scared for your life, I guess. Right, right. Uh, anything we didn't talk about? Blech. There it is again, my imagination trumpet. I, I don't I don't think so. I was okay. better with you this time than I was last time. What do you think happened last time that was different? Your voice throws me. Hmm. You're so measured, but you're not slow. And I needed to lead your, I, I should have let your words breathe more last time. Hmm. All your hot takes are smart and you can talk without thinking, which I find to be a very, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you ever hear me go off on a tangent and you're like, wow, he's really talking. But then you listen and you think, wow, that all made sense. Mm -hmm. Like, I, yeah, I don't know how that happens. So if people aren't speaking quickly enough, I can make the assumption that they're making it up as they're going along instead of they're being thoughtful and choosing their words. Yep. So whereas I use extra words I don't need because I'm talking while I'm while my brain's forming thoughts, you form your thoughts and then you speak. Yep. I remember getting done with you last time and realizing I you're also um not monotone, but you're you're very even when you speak. And there's something about that that makes me feel like I have to it, it it can make me feel like I have to fill the space with excitement, mm. if that makes sense. And this time I didn't. I knew you were going to deliver, so I, I yeah I was able to just sit back and let it happen. I, I don't know Thank that's very inside baseball on 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 hosting a podcast, but and I I've been learning it for years. I used yeah. to make the mistake more with um Southern people because they speak slower, and or they can speak more slowly, and I I I had trouble with the the gaps of silence. Yep. Like, and so I'm better with that now too. Um, anyway, does that, did you feel that when we spoke the first time? 
I didn't feel it so much. I, the things that you're noticing now in retrospect, I can see it, but it also felt like a very easy conversation. It felt well-paced. It felt balanced. I didn't I didn't feel like, oh, Scott's got to fill the space here. No, it, it wasn't like that. It's me being ultra aware of it. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I'm always trying to fine tune the conversation so that yeah. it's it, ultimately, I need it to be listenable enough that, that somebody wants to make it through the whole thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because I don't know what the point is of you and me feeling good about this when it's over, but everybody else tuned out 10 minutes ago. Absolutely. Yeah, and and so I'm always kind of just reevaluating it. You you are easily a person who you do not match my, you don't match my energy, you don't match my speaking style, and that should mean that we're not a good conversation together, but you and I are a good conversation together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our intellect is is similar. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take that as a compliment, so thank you. I was I was complimenting you, but, uh, and me, yeah, that's I, I, good. not me. I was like, I, I, I'm lucky to be here in this conversation. I feel like I'm lucky to be in this conversation with you. Thank you. No, of thank course, you. no. But seriously, I, I had a really interesting. I'm going to let you go in a minute, but I had a really interesting conversation yesterday with a gentleman whose kid was diagnosed in the last couple of years. It's a private conversation. And they're in the position professionally where they were able to, I mean, I didn't have all the details, sound like some money was made, and they were able to kind of walk away from their job. And they they want to put their efforts, their professional efforts, into helping people with diabetes. Hmm. And this person's been kind of like on a, almost like a talking tour, meeting people who help people with type 1 and and trying to figure out like what what's missing in the space and things like that. And we must have talked. I mean, I jumped on the phone, if I'm being candid, like I jumped off the, on the phone to be polite. And that, and because his previous work experience I found impressive. So I thought this won't be a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And then we got on so well. I'm afraid to look at the call timer from yesterday. I think it's possible we spoke for 90 minutes on the phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I got done, I was just very impressed, you know, like really impressed with. Uh, the pace that he spoke at and still made utter sense every mm-hmm. word that came out of his mouth. And there are moments when I could feel that he's better educated than I am because he didn't fumfer for words where I sometimes lose my words and things like that. And then I thought, oh, I, maybe I should have went to college. Like I actually thought that while I was talking to him, like maybe I should have mm. gone to college. And mm. But yet he was complimenting me for being honest where – he wasn't running into a lot of that in these conversations. A lot of people were protecting their position and, mm-hmm. you know, saying high-minded things that weren't going to actually amount to anything for people with diabetes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was just, it was a really, I, I said to him afterwards, I was like, I, I, I really enjoy this. You know, um, I don't have a ton of private conversations that I walk away from. Like, I, actually, that's one of the secrets about the podcast. I really love talking to people. Yeah. And you I don't, I don't get it enough in my life. So, you know, this is a good excuse to do it. Well, I, I think it's awesome. You've turned it in that thing. You've turned it into something that just is like, like pretty remarkable and super high value to a lot of people. Finally, my dad said somebody was going to punch me in the face, but he was wrong. I mean, like that story has not been written to the end yet. It's possible. I'm going to punch you in the face. Oh, yeah, someone's going to do it eventually. But what does Cole say all the time? He's like, one of those podcast people is going to kill you. <laughs> So I mean, please don't. Please don't even put that out there in the universe. Can you imagine? I I, I mean, that's, I'm not joking about it. Yeah, no. I, I it's it's funny because even when you look back on it, I I'm adopted. 
I, I've said this on the podcast before, like my parents would have conversations and I'd be like that. I could think in my head, I'd be like, that's not the right answer. Like, how are you people not seeing the right answer? You, you know, and it was all very confusing. And I always thought of it from my perspective. It wasn't until I was older that I thought of it from his perspective. Like my dad, as an example, thought I was sarcastic. I was just thinking more quickly than he was. <laughs> and our thoughts weren't aligned because we're not genetically linked in any way. And um, he just thought I was, he thought I was an asshole. Like, he, he really did. He was like, what's this kid being a jerk for all the time? And I'm yeah. busy going like, hey, I think we could do this better. Or, you know, why are you not considering this? And and I look back now, and I think that's all it was. So we were too, um, we were mm-hmm. incompatible, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, intellectually incompatible. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's fun to talk to people and not care about that. Yeah. Like, uh, that's what I love about the podcast. Like, there have, peop- there have been people who have gotten on in my real life, I might not talk to this person. And what a mistake that would be. Yeah. You know, and then you you sit down and talk to them and realize that everybody, everybody's story is incredibly valuable and their perspectives are and the way they think through things or sometimes don't think through them is is educational for the people listening and often for them as well. So anyway, yeah. I wish I came up with more big words is what I was just saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't need big words. You don't think so? I mean, you don't need that. Mm-mm. In my very first um, experience like this, my wife was kind of the youngest person in her company when we were really young. So we got invited to like a party at someone's home where everyone was just older than we were. And it was a little weird because it's just like when we were raising kids, like everybody who had kids Cole's age was 10 years older than us. Mm-hmm. So you always, mm-hmm. you, you felt like an outside, like you're like, I don't belong here, you know? Um, but we were at this party and I just was like, what am I going to do? I can stand in a corner. Like Kelly's over there, like with the women folk, I should go outside where the men folk are. And, um, we, we were just out talking and I don't know what, I, I have no idea what happened. And at the end of the night, the host of the party, who was a gentleman much older than me, pulled me aside and said, I really enjoyed speaking with you. Hmm. And I was like, oh, thank you. And then I didn't think anything of it and left. But now I look back and I realize he was shocked that somebody younger mm-hmm. than him got in that conversation and hung in that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that at the time. So I thought you were going to say he punched you in the face. So this was a much better ending. Gave me a cigar actually. Now that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so too. So, uh, it was, it was very interesting. A- mm-hmm. Anyway, this is uh, not about me. It's about you. And, uh, let me end this by saying, I will think of you and I hope nothing but the best. Um, the, I, you know, continue to find, good answers and and follow your path. I I'm I'm Thank you. I'm in I'm on your side and in your corner, that's for sure. I appreciate it. I'm going to do my best I for you and your mom too, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, she's doing she really is doing terrific. So, get her some milk for God's sake. Yeah, poor woman. She's not like she's even lactose intolerant. Um, what do you think we should call the episode? I have my answer already. Oh my god, if you say imagination trump and I'm out. It's insightful and fun. Oh. What do you think I got? You don't know? No. Whack-a-mole. Love it. There we are. I love it. I only wrote down one for you. It's like, this is it. This lady's story is about fighting the fight in front of her. We'll call it Um, whack-a-mole. Yeah, great. All right, hold on one second for me, okay? Okay. Thanks. I want to thank Sapporo for coming on the show again and being so terrific. I also want to thank... 
US Med and remind you to go to usmed.com forward slash juice box or call 888-721-1514. Get your free benefits checked now. And don't forget cozyearth.com. Use the offer code juicebox at checkout to save 40% off of your entire order. Check out the private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. And of course, you can visit all of the sponsors in the show notes of your podcast player or at juiceboxpodcast.com. There's links there to everybody. And when you're supporting the sponsors, you're supporting the show. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.